Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'd like to follow along, beginning in verse 1 through verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the New English, or excuse me, the English Standard Version. I don't want to create my own version. The English Standard Version. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is moral may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us, or us for this very thing, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Thank you, Lyle. Good morning, church. We're blessed by God to be on the wake-up list today. Good to see you. I appreciate your prayers for my mission trip. It went well. We'll do a report on the 17th of September, Lord willing. Good to see Catherine Marstein here after her procedure. Uh, And I don't usually ask people about what I'm going to preach on, but I want to mention that uh, Tom and his sister are here today, and his mother passed this morning. We never know when that happens, and we really never long for it to happen, but we do understand where Christians go when they pass. Hopefully, we'll see some scripture will help in this time of need. You probably have seen about the fires in Maui and the destruction of the city of Lahaina and the church. I posted on social media a picture of the church in Maui, which is quite a story how that took place. Uh, You've been there. It's a beautiful location. Uh, But in that context, the church is reaching out to help others. They offer food and shower and water and a variety of things. If you'd like to help in that situation, we're going to send the money. We're going to take a collection September the 10th for the fires and the destruction of the the church in Maui. Send it to the church in Maui. Uh, Put on your check Maui. There will only be one contribution that day. You've done very well. Thank you for that, for the different needs that come up, and we are blessed by God to be able to help those in need. We walk by faith and not by sight. I want to thank you for giving more. I've asked you to give more, and you've done that. I thank you for that. Uh, From the news this week, 
perhaps you've seen, perhaps you heard this report as well. The government has decided, and the government has announced that this year, Christmas will be in December. So mark your calendar. I know it's a shock. You're never ready for that. When did that, when's that, you know? But in that context, what are you going to do? Uh, are you going to prepare? Have you already started preparing? Some will wait till about a month or so from now. Some will wait till Black Friday and prepare. Some will wait till December 24 to prepare. That's just the way we are as people. And that context, we know it's coming, and yet we're shocked sometimes when it catches up to us. This year does seem to be moving very quickly. But in that context, we'll try to see some things about that. Our next slide reminds us of the chart that we have on the back table. We would love to talk with you and study with you if you're online about how to get ready for the last great day. This is a chart that someone has prepared and we've copied and made copies and put it on the back table. Because as I say, run it through your Bible. Jesus came and took the mission trip. He left heaven and he came here to die, to die the innocent for the guilty. Now, if he's going to die as which he did, surely he's going to say something about how to appropriate that forgiveness, how to get that blood that washes our sins away. If he's going to literally give his life, you think he'll say anything about that? Well, he does in these verses and other verses from Scripture tell one how to contact the blood. There's all kinds of people saying all kinds of things out there, and we want you to study your Bible and see what God said. Christ surrendered to die on a cross. It's not a limited atonement, as some people teach, where they teach that God figured out how much blood he would need for the people who are going to be saved, and that's all that he shed. Now, Christ shed the blood for everyone in the world, and if they reject him, it's wasted blood. Imagine, you and I are offered to have every one of our sins forgiven and washed away. And someone says, no, I'm not going to take advantage of that offer. You understand then why on Judgment Day God would say, I tried to get you help, but you wouldn't take it, so now you have to punishment that you will pay for yourself. God says we're not designed for wrath. We're not objects of wrath in the sense of destined for wrath. But he, we are destined to share with him in heaven. But we have the choice. And we'll talk some more about that today. God was willing to pay for the sins of anyone who comes to him. Think of the worst person you know. Christ's blood is available to wash them seen. Perhaps you've heard and remember the story of Jeffrey Dahmer, how he came to Christ. We say people like that who are murderers because we put that in a big category. But it only takes one sin to separate us from God. If we're not holy and pure and righteous, then we can't go in the presence of God. He's pure. He's without sin. And he understands, God knows that for us to live with him, which is his goal, he has to clean us up. And God is more than able to save those who come to him. Christ died to pay for our sins. He talks about how to access his blood. We'd be glad to help anybody in talking about how one gets right with God, if you have questions. And our next picture maybe an artist's view can help us to see as we talk about death this is one person's view of what it means to pass from this life and to meet Jesus it's a great picture a great rendering I think it helps us in our topic today of walking by faith where we believe as the scripture teaches there is life beyond this world and I like the next picture as well this is another artist's view of what the first moments in heaven are like 
They're not gone forever. They're not forever lost. They're alive in the next world, as Dan talked about in class. It's the gospel that the people who Paul killed will meet him rejoicing as he walks in the pearly gates. That's forgiveness. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And here is a wonderful concept, I think, of helping us see that we have the opportunity of being with those we know and love who have gone off. They're not gone forever. And so as we talk about the last great day, and we have no idea when that will be, but it will happen here in this context. What a beautiful thought this artist has put on this picture. And again, the next picture makes everything very clear again. We eat at a table which we have no right to eat. We don't deserve to go to heaven. What we deserve is to be sent to hell. Justice is being paid. We pay for our sins. That's justice. God didn't want that. God didn't want us to go to hell, so he sent his son to die as an innocent lamb, a sacrifice, the innocent for the guilty, as the plan of God 700 years before it happened. Isaiah 53 describes the plan of God. He was bruised for our transgression, and the punishment that belongs on us was come upon him. God made a plan for us to be completely forgiven of our sins through Christ. And yet in that context, just like the Old Testament people of God were commanded as they had the first Passover to take an innocent lamb and kill it and put the blood over the post and the doorpost, and God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It literally saved their physical lives. The blood of Christ saves our spiritual lives. Christ paid the price for us and all who come to him. This is the core of the gospel. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We deserve to go to hell. We've used it before as an illustration. Imagine I'm going down Alma School Road. They pull me over and say, I don't know what the speed limit is, I think it's 45. Well, you're doing 60. I'm going to give you a ticket. That's justice. I pay the fine. I'm going down Alma School, I'm doing 60. They pull me over and say, you're doing uh, 60 to 45. Yes, I'm sorry, sir. And, you know, you put the music on, your, your mind gets away from you. Easier than before. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a warning this time. That's mercy. We're thankful for that. We're driving down Alba School Road, and I'm doing 60, and they pull me over and said, you know, it's 45. Yes, sir. Well, I'm not only not going to give you a ticket, I'm going to give you a brand new car. What? What? <laughs> now, it didn't happen to you, did it? Right? Okay? No. But that's grace. This is what God has prepared for us, for we deserve to go to hell. God doesn't want that. And because God is a lover and a generous giver, he was willing to let his son, and his son was willing to take all the punishment we deserve so that we can participate in what we don't deserve. And when he sees the blood, he'll pass over us and save our lives spiritually. As I said earlier, we walk by faith. Faith that Jesus Christ will come again. Faith that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, that there will be a judgment day, that Christ will come and judge all the people on the earth. And that's why we're here. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the core of faith. We live in a world where bad things happen. And we wonder, why doesn't God do something about the wicked, sinful world? We wonder, why do these things happen? People mock God every day. They live lives of deceit, lying, cheating, stealing. People live lives of oppression and hating God and hating other people and cursing God's name every day. It's the age-old question, why does it look like the bad guys are winning? 
Why doesn't God do something about it? Well, here's why. God has decided there's a day in which he will judge all the world in righteousness. God has decided that today is a day of mercy. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day that God is offering anybody to come to him to change sides like Saul did and come to Paul. Paul said, I'm the worst of sinners, and if God could forgive me, he could forgive anybody. Today is the day that God's mercy reigns and his judgment waits. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. There is a judgment day. It'll come without warning. But right now we see what God is really like. It is mercy. He has another day we have to get right for the last great day, that to wash our sins away so that there'll be all kinds of emotions. I think when we see Jesus and his hundreds of thousands of angels, we can trust God to keep his promises. So that means right now, right now, we're going to live in a messy world where it looks like evil's getting away with it. It looks like sin is not going to be punished. But today, God's mercy reigns every day. God gives another day to those who don't know him, who might try to know him. God gives people another day, another hour, another chance to repent, another hour to come to him and be forgiven of all their sins, another chance so that they won't have to go to hell. God gives them mercy right now, not justice, because he does not delight in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 19, I would rather they repent and live, God says. Another chance to obey, another chance to repent and be baptized, another chance for prodigals to come home. Why? Because he does not want to send people to hell. Now, you can understand, if he gives us this great gift of his son and we don't take advantage of it, why it would be right and just to send people to hell. But day after day, those who don't know him, they don't serve him, they don't care about him, they have another chance to turn from sin and come to him. And God's plan is for us who've been forgiven, who don't deserve to go to heaven, don't, but have the opportunity to share that good news with others. We live in a messy world because judgment waits. We long and hope to see justice. We want to see the wrongs made right, but God is merciful today. The scriptures teach that God shows his power by offering forgiveness. He's able to do justice. He does it in his own time, in his own way. He will take care of it. God will bring justice for every sin. There's eternity coming up. There will be a day of judgment. But we walk by faith that God's in charge. God will take care of it. And right now, he has decided, because he's sovereign, that he's merciful, that anyone can come to him, and it's his offer of forgiveness. So we walk by faith, trusting him to take care of all the wrongs. And today, mercy reigns. Today is the day of salvation. The Hebrew writer says, do not harden your heart, as they did in the Old Testament wilderness wandering. So even in this sick, sin-filled world, we walk by faith. That God will take care of it. That God is fair and just. And he offers mercy every day and invites the prodigals to come home, even his enemies to be forgiven. Our text today is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Saul, known as Paul, has now has that hope. And he writes of the truth, as we just read, that there is life beyond this world. And so we go to the text. Paul is speaking about this life. We don't have time to look at chapter 4 because it builds right after chapter 4. Chapter 4 is about the messiness of this life. And he describes, we are persecuted but not destroyed, struck down but not forsaken, 
always bearing in our body the death of Christ, so the life of Christ may be manifest in our body. Paul is describing the Christian life here as there will be trouble, but it's God's plan so that we can let Christ live in us, share his sufferings. In our reading today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at the first four verses. Because he's saying that human beings are overbuilt for this world. We have God in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in our hearts. A writer from the fourth century said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We have been made in the image of God, but also this passage we'll see says we long to be in our heavenly body. We long to be in the next world. We're always wanting to be clothed, not naked. And he's describing here our tent, our tabernacle, our earthly body. All those describing the same word. As we look at chapter 5, look at verse 4. It's fascinating to me what the Bible says, for the Bible is giving us information. And it's not the way we usually look at it. He describes life, he describes death this way, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 4. For what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Notice what it does not say. That life is swallowed up by death. In fact, it says the opposite. We think we're living. This passage says we are dying. We are mortal. It will be swallowed up by life. And Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 6 that real life is in the next world. Isn't that something? This is great. But real life is with God forever. And that fascinates me. You see, we, oh, we fear death, and that's understandable. We, we should learn that during the pandemic. We're going to die. Are we ready? Does it make you get ready for Christ? We're going to die. Not talking about it, not going to a funeral is not going to stop it. Yet that's our culture. You know, oh, I don't, I don't want to go to a funeral. I know people who won't go to a funeral. Doesn't stop it. But here Paul, describing the truth of life, says that mortality is swallowed up of life. Now go again. There's a lot in these verses. Let's look at verses 1 to 4. We know, he's confident, we know that if our earthly tent, that's our body, is destroyed, we die. We have a building from God, eternal house in the heavens, not made with human hands. Notice the confidence. And this is walking by faith. We haven't seen this yet, but we will one day. Meanwhile, while we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because while we are, when we are clothed, we're not found to be naked. He's describing right now. We don't want to be naked. Well, the culture wants to be naked. But he's describing we want to have our heavenly body. For while we are in this tent, this body, this tent, this tabernacle, we groan in a burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal is swallowed up by life. Now notice verse 5. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose. Do you ever know what the purpose of your life is? Here's what the scripture says. The purpose of your life and mine is to live with God forever. That's what it says. A guy in California sold like 12 million books based on this passage, purpose-driven life. That's what it's about. But he took a scripture and wrote a book about it. But go to the scripture. The purpose of your life is not to get stuff, not to make the most money in the world, not to be the most famous. There are people that way, but the purpose of our life is to live with God forever. Eternity, it's hard to explain. I can illustrate it, but it really falls short. Someone says if you take an ant and he goes around the world, the world is made of solid steel, 
How long would it take you to make a groove a half an inch thick? Well, however long that is, that's just the beginning of eternity. Right? That, that helps a little bit, but it really doesn't answer the question. The purpose of our life is to live with God forever. There in that context, is that the purpose of your life? Is that why you're living? If you're prepared and you, you want God to walk with you today, but also to live with him forever. How do we know we walk by faith, but how do we know God's going to keep us promised? Well, the same verse, verse 5, and it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He's saying that a Christian has the forgiveness of sin and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that's a deposit, a seal, guaranteeing what is to come. This is a normal Greek word that's found in normal documents in the first century. When a person bought a house, this word would describe, just as we do today, put a deposit down on the house, guaranteeing you're going to make all the payments. God has given Christians the Holy Spirit as a deposit on their salvation, guaranteeing that God will make all the payments all the way to the last day. Now, human beings sometimes don't make all the payments, but you can trust God to keep his word. God is serious about you living with him forever. That's the purpose of our lives. And God is enabling that to happen by what he's done through Christ. So here in this context, we have verse 6 to 8. Again, therefore we are always confident and know that we are at home in the body we're away from the Lord. Therefore is based on everything we just said. I've said before, put a circle around it, point backwards and point forwards. For the next statements, hang on what he just said. All that God has done, therefore we know. When we pass, we'll go be with the Lord. We are confident of this. Are you confident of that? You can be. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Now listen to verse 7. You may have heard it before. We live by faith and not by sight. Now here's the context in which all that we've talked about is from. That there is life beyond this world. That we can live with God. That there one day faith will be sight. But right now it's faith. But you can trust the word of God. That's why you're here today. In that context, Jim, uh, quit playing. Jim Pace talks about Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's what we're doing. So verse 9, Paul gives a definition of the Christian life. Paul says... In verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether at home in the body or away from it. This is a summary of what the Christian life is, to please God. Look at verse 8. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You see, Paul's heart and Paul's goal is to live with God in heaven. If your heart and your goal is to live on the earth, and your goal and your heart is in this life, you're in trouble. Because one day it's all going to go away or you will die or both. To those in Hawaii and on Maui, if their whole life was built on this life, not only have they suffered a tragedy, they've suffered more than that. They've lost all their purpose. See, this is why our purpose is in heaven. Hope beyond this world. Because difficulties do come. Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. The storms come to everybody. The wise and the foolish. And those who are built on the rock can stand. And we come to verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
I remember one day I was somewhere here and all of a sudden it dawned on me I had a doctor's appointment I missed. Have you ever had that? You yeah. missed your appointment? Whoa, excuse me. You forgot about it. It just slipped your mind. Not judgment day. Sometimes we make a decision, well, I'm not going to go. I, you know, I, I just don't want to go. I don't feel like going. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. And nobody's going to miss it. Nobody's going to be late. You can be back, Bill McAfee and say, can't wait for judgment day. Everybody's going to be on time. <laughs> nobody's going to sleep in and say, oh, I forgot. We're all going to be there. This is a divine appointment. We must. Notice the scripture, what must is you. You must be baptized. When God says you must do something, take clear attention to it. Again, God has prepared us for this very purpose. We mentioned already from Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in our hearts. So we'll seek him and be prepared. We're overbuilt for this world. That's what this chapter is saying. We long to be clothed with our heavenly body. We look around us and just life itself teaches us there's got to be more than this. There's got to be a better life than this. Our culture in this context tries to emphasize the living right now. I had a friend of mine who acapella sings a song, I'll have a new body, I'll have a new life. He was single when this came out. He used to sing, I'll have a new body, I'll have a new wife. You know, we thought that was funny. But again, we'll have a new body. We have family and you have family that have physical ailments. Different people. I read of a sister in Christ that I know. Her husband was in a wheelchair. And she wrote about he will be able to bend the knee now before Jesus because he couldn't do that before. People who are blind be able to see Jesus with their own eyes. People who couldn't speak were able to speak the name of Jesus with their own mouth. We will all before, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So what do we do? Well, we walk by faith, just like the people in Psalm 119, 3,000 years ago. Different covenant, different commands, but they're serving God in a wicked world. And the psalmist writes, Psalm 119, 9 to 25. How could a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I will seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. My lips I will recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts. I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. He wants to please the Lord. Do good to your servant and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. For I am a stranger on the earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and stray from your commands. Remove from me the scorn and contempt for I've kept your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselor. God knew and Jesus knew that judgment day was coming. He gave us the word of God to help us understand and prepare. Christ knew it was coming, and the only hope we would have is for him to die and pour out his blood to pay for every one of our sins. Imagine you're going fishing. Would you prepare for it? Imagine Christmas is coming up. Would you prepare for it? What about the last great day? We're all going to stand before Jesus. 
And in that context, what are your plans? Are you preparing, working day by day, by the grace of God to make your calling and election sure? This is why we sing an invitation song, to help and encourage people to come. I encourage you to pray, if you're right with God, for others to come. For we want everyone to be ready. What the scriptures teach, not everyone will be ready. As I said, the government said Christmas will be in December. We're always caught by surprise by that. Wow. But this is one surprise you don't want to miss. The Lord's coming. And we have no idea when that will take place. Don't put it off. Some know what they need to do, just haven't done it yet. Some understand that the scriptures teach that today is the day of salvation. The Spirit's working on them to get right with God. They haven't done it. What are you waiting for? If you need to come to God or come back to God, why don't you come as we stand?